All right, we're back with the second week of Parable, the Jesus Adventure. And I got to say, last week's was uh, was pretty good. But this week, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. I know I really wanted to do this one last, but I felt that it couldn't wait. It needed to be done. So I'm going to do this one, and then I'm going to go back to Luke 11 and do the Good Samaritan. Now, the prodigal son. Now, this sermon is called the prodigal son or prodigal father. The story of two prodigals. So, very, very quickly, I want to give you some definitions. Prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant. Okay? Parable. A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. So let me give you a quick story about myself and we'll jump back into uh, the prodigal son. So I grew up in Scottsdale and I grew up around uh, a majority of wealthy kids. Some maybe not wealthy, but majority wealthy. So what I do is, my mom would give me $25 for allowance and $25 for lunch. So I was thinking about this and I was like, wait, wait, wait. What if I don't eat a $5 lunch and I eat a bagel instead every lunch? And then I can pocket the rest of the money. And then when I want to spend time with my friends, I can be like, hey, let, let me take you out to eat. Let me Let me do this for you. And so... It'll work better, right? Right? Because because I, it's not because I like them. It's not because I want to bless them. It's not because I want to be a nice. But it's because I want them to like me for my money. I want them to like me because I was doing stuff for them. I wanted to th them to think that I was the best. Now, I usually have this problem. It, it's kind of funny. I want people to think I'm the best. When I played high school basketball, I wanted people to think I was the best. When I, when I played baseball, I wanted people to think I was the best. When I preach, I want people to think I'm the best. Now, now maybe you're sitting here listening to this and you think, I'm listening to Marino because he's the best. But, but I'm not an idiot. I'm not stupid. I know I have a long way to go to be the best, whatever that could be. To just throw a couple names out there. One day, I, I hope, I hope that I can be named as one of the best communicators of my time, much like Judith Smith, Robert Madu, and Stephen Furtick. I would love to be in that category. I would love people to say, wow, look at him. He really knows how to communicate with other people. Wow, look at him. He really knows how to do this. But part of that's because... I want to bless other people, but maybe a part of that is because I really want people to love me. Maybe I really have this burning desire for people to love me. Not my family, not my friends, but people. I just want people to love me. So I go down this path and I came and I know I men I've mentioned Kylie the first two episodes of this podcast, but I'm going to mention her again. I started dating her. Funny story. 
maybe I'll tell you in a different sermon how we met, but uh, I started dating her and we'd go out two, three times a week. Not because I want to be nice, not because I want to bless her, but because I want her to like me more. It's not that I cared about taking her out to eat, but I want her to like me more. I wanted to spend money on her so she liked me more. I wanted to treat her right so she liked me more. Not because not I was a nice guy, not because I wanted to do what was right, but so she would like me more. I wanted to do it for me, not for her. I spent money for me, not for her. I took her out not for me, but for, for me, but not for her. I went shopping with her, not for her, but for me, to look good. I hate shopping. I hate shopping with women. It's the worst thing ever. They look at every piece of clothing and they don't buy one thing. How in the world is that shopping? That's merely, I don't know what that is. Maybe that's window shopping to the extreme where you actually try stuff on but you don't buy anything. I, I can't explain that to you. I can't explain what, uh, what that is. So, in a sense, I was a prodigal. I was spending money or resources freely and recklessly. I was wastefully extravagant. So in Luke 15, 11 through 13, it says, Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. This is the story of two prodigals. You might be asking yourself, Marino, I don't understand. The, the prodigal son, the, this story, and I'm looking at it in my Bible, and it says, the prodigal son. So what are you talking about, the story of two prodigals? This isn't the story of two prodigals. Yes, it is. Because let me show you something. There was a man who had two sons. So notice the story is called the prodigal son, but it starts off with the father. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. The father spent his money, his resources, freely and recklessly. His father was wastefully extravagant because, because this is why. All you knowledge getters are going to love this. See, a lot, of, a lot of scholars would say Jesus is telling the Pharisees that the father... Split it between the two evenly. He divided it into two. Now you might say that's what the story suggests, and it does. But this is also another problem. See, in Jewish culture, if there's two sons, the older would get two-thirds, and the younger would get a third. So the father has become the prodigal. But in a matter of verses, the younger son becomes a prodigal too. And he leaves and squanders his wealth in wild living. Okay, so first of all, the younger was never supposed to get half of what his father had. He was supposed to get a third of what the father had, and the older would get two-thirds. This had to, be, had to have made the older son angry at his brother, and the 
and at his father because it isn't fair. Now remember this is a story that this is fictional but but if this story was true the older son would have had to been a little bit ticked off. It's not fair. It's not fair some people drive around $100,000 cars and you're driving around a clunker. It's not fair some people live in North Scottsdale and you live in an apartment. It's not fair people have the new iPhone and you have an iPhone 4. It's not fair some people seem to have a close bond to God and you're struggling with the concept of God. It's not fair. It's not fair that, God, that some people get stuff and you don't get stuff. It's not fair that some people achieve stuff and you don't achieve stuff. It's not fair that some people are good at math and you're horrible at math. It's not fair that some people are good at English and you're horrible at English. It's not fair that some people get history and you're horrible at history. It's not fair that you don't know where states are. It's not fair. Nothing's fair. This whole life is not fair. What is fair? Well, maybe. Maybe fairness isn't really fair. Maybe fairness doesn't exist. This older son at this point in time understood that fairness doesn't exist. It's not fair. It's not So we're going to go on, Luke 15, 14 through 19. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The prodigal son becomes the needy. He needs help. He needs a place to sleep. He needs a place to eat. He needs love. His... This man goes from living lavishly, probably eating steak dinners, having ladies draped around him, having people adore him, and wanting to eat in the pods with pigs. Now notice that. He, he goes from lavishly living. He goes from, from eating steak dinners. He goes from women draped around him to eating with pigs and having pigs draped around him. Pigs are fed better than this man right now. That, that like, like he didn't go from, from the highest of high to, to middle class. He, he didn't go from the highest of high to, to lower middle class. He went from the highest of high to rock bottom. He went from living in the penthouse in Manhattan to living under a bridge in Louisiana. He, 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 this man it, has lost everything. But this raises another question. Have you ever been this younger son in need of a father? I have. I have indeed been in need of a father. 
who cares for me and someone I can go and just ask for shelter after I ask for half of his belongings. I need someone who, who's going to love me unconditionally. I, this man needs a father. I need a father. We all need a father. We all needed a father. And, and we, we, we read the verse, but, but this is what this man's really trying to say. This is what this younger son really is trying to say. Daddy. Daddy, all I want is a place to come home. Daddy, please, let me come home to you. I just want to come home. I want shelter. I want a place to sleep. And, Dad, I I know. I know what I did was wrong. I know that I sinned against you. I know that I sinned against heaven. But, Dad, please, Dad, let me come home. Dad, I'm begging you to let me come home. And, and Dad, I'm, I'm not even telling you that, that I want to be your son again because that's impossible to ask of you. But, Dad, just love me as your servant. I will serve you for the rest of my life. Dad, please let me come home. Let me be your servant. Because right now your servants are eating better than I am. This was this man's cry to his father. And Luke 15, 20 through 24 says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Hmm. His father accepted him back home. The father rejoices over the fool. And this is the grace part of the message. See, we haven't seen grace in this story. We've seen the son ask, we've seen the father give, we've seen two prodigals, we've seen the, the younger son live his life horribly and lose everything and come crawling back to the father. But we finally see the grace. So I have another question. I'm great at asking these questions of you. What is so amazing about grace? What is it about grace? See, there's this song called Amazing Grace, and, and is that what's amazing about grace? It, it, it's the fact that, that God gives us this grace, that, the amazing part about grace is it, the fact that God can accept us back after what we did, the amazing part about grace. What is amazing about grace? What, what is it about grace that, that, that is amazing? Is there anything about grace that is amazing? What is it about grace that is amazing? The, what is it? Is it that we don't deserve grace? Is it that we don't earn grace? Is it, is it that we can't repay grace? What is it about grace that is so amazing? Well, let me tell you the story. So there's this daughter who grows up in Traverse City, Michigan, disgusted with her old-fashioned parents who overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, the length of her skirt. She runs away. She ends up in Detroit where she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. The man with the big car, she calls him Boss. 
recognizes that since she's underage, Ben would pay premium for her, so she goes to work for him. Things are good for a while, life is good, but she gets sick for a few days and it amazes her how quickly the boss turns mean. Before she knows it, she's out in the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple tricks a night and all the money goes to support her now drug habit. One night while sleeping on the metal grates of the city, she began to feel less like a woman of the world and more like a little girl. She begins to whimper, God, why did I leave? My dog back home eats better than I do now. She knows that more than anything in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight calls home get three straight connections with the answering machine. Finally, she leaves a message. Mom, Dad, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way and it'll get there around midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, I'll understand. During the seven-hour bus ride, she's preparing a speech for her father. And when the bus comes to a stop in Traverse City Station, the driver announces a 15-minute stop. 15 minutes to decide her life. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepares her for what she sees. There in the bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home! Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes and begins her memorized speech. He interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. We'll be late. A big party is awaiting you at home. So I ask you, what is amazing? about grace what is it about grace that's so amazing maybe it's these stories that make us teary eyed while reading maybe it's God maybe it's how God accepts us maybe it's the grace we're given each day for the mistakes we make each day maybe it's the fact God knows we're going to make mistakes and he accepts us maybe it's the fact that we didn't earn grace that's the amazing part maybe it's the fact that we don't have to repay grace that's the amazing part but maybe there's something else maybe just maybe the amazing part about grace Is that you don't know why you get it. The amazing part about grace is. The son didn't know why he got it. This daughter didn't know why she got it. We don't know why we get it from God. But we get it. Don't we? We, we get it. We don't deserve it but we get it. Maybe that's the amazing part. So the story goes on, and we'll finish it up here, going all the way from 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property and prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost, and he is found. The older son becomes envious, because now it's not just unfair it's ridiculous this is utterly ridiculous to this man that the older son doesn't understand it one bit he hears music in the field he asks a servant and the servant says your older your younger brother has come home this thinner this sinner this thief this traitor is now your son again dad i don't understand this i don't under get it i don't get it this sinner this thief this traitor Maybe you say that in your own life. Maybe you say, those people in prison, those people in prison that accept Jesus are not the same as me. They're not believers like I believe. See, see, I believe before I did anything wrong, but, but they're believing after? You, know, you have to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me that, that someone in prison is the same as me in God's eyes. That, that I'm not standing for it. It's not right. But that's really not your call. Like this older son is correct. The younger son was a sinner. He was a thief. He was a traitor. I hate to tell you that I'm doing this podcast and I'm a sinner. I hate to tell you that Earlier in my life, I betrayed God. I hate to tell you that that Peter betrayed Jesus three times. And was it has a prominent role after Jesus leaves the scene. I hate to tell you that that this, this doesn't seem fair to us, but to, to God, this is fair. See, I, I love what it says. It says, this younger son, this older son says, but then the son of yours. And watch what, what his dad says. This is, this is beautiful. This is what makes me smile about the Bible. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours. Th- this older son saying, Dad, that's your son. Not my brother. And the father turns it around and says, Son, that is your brother. See, we can look at the story and we can think, maybe I, maybe I am the older son. Maybe at times I say, God, those are your people. I'm not part of those people because those people make mistakes. I'm over here and I'm perfect. God, I, I don't make those mistakes. 
God, I, I never murdered a person. I never stole a thing. Maybe I lied once or twice. Maybe maybe I wasn't the nicest person. Maybe I, I don't worship you enough. But God, I don't make those mistakes. At this point, I can imagine the father scratching his head and asking himself, where did I go wrong? With teaching my oldest son what was right and wrong. See, the younger was a prodigal for three verses in this story. The father was a prodigal the whole story. The younger spent everything he had and had no more. The father gave lavishly and still had more to give. Today, after listening to this story, you, you could go into town, you, you could spend all your money, you could spend more than you have because of credit cards. You could spend more than you have because, because that's the world we live in. And you, and you could lose everything tonight. But God will still give you lavishly. See, after God gives you lavishly, he still has more to give. After all, God gave you life. After all, God granted you salvation. After all, God sent his son in sacrifice for us. So after all, God is the prodigal. Now you could be a prodigal son for three verses. But I'm going to choose to, to allow God to be the prodigal God. I'm not going to be the prodigal son because I can't. I don't have the resources to be the prodigal son. But see, God's giving lavishly today. See, see, you don't deserve life, but he gave it to you. You don't deserve salvation, but he gave it to you. You don't deserve grace, but he gave it to you. You can't explain those things. You, you can't come up with the best theological statement to explain those things. It just is. God is the prodigal. God's the prodigal. He's the prodigal for a reason. He's the prodigal because that's who he is and that's what he does. It's as simple as that. You, you can't change God. You can hardly explain God. I can explain God that he loves me dearly. He has to because I'm alive. He loves me with everything he has because he has to because I'm alive. Now that's enough in itself, but he sent Jesus for us. In fact, Jesus gave the story. The story isn't about a prodigal son. The story contains three characters. You can only be two of the parts. You can either be the only son or you can be the older son. You may be asking for things that you don't deserve and getting in. Or you may be judging people for coming back.
Now, either way, either one of those is bad. For the believer, mostly, it's, it's being the oldest son. You've gone to church all your life, and now you see people celebrating for coming back to church after 30 years. Why? Why are we celebrating this? Aren't they thieves? Aren't they traitors? Aren't they sinners? Yes, they are. But aren't we all sinners? Don't all that we celebrate when we commit to God? Whether it's for the first time, second time, or hundredth time?